0: To John the elder to the lady chosen by God and to her children whom I love in the truth and not I only but also all who know the truth because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever grace mercy and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the father and the son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your sister, who is chosen by God send their greetings
1: good morning Uh, my name's tom i'm one of the elders here at christchurch i'm also exceptionally tall so i'll just put that a bit if that's all right um i'm going to help talk us through the the second half of this short letter this morning um maybe when it was read to you you realized what i thought the first time i read it it seems quite confusing, so why don't we ask God's help uh, as we do that. Um, Before I do that though, if English isn't your first language and you'd like a Farsi copy of the transcript, the sum over by the Bible is there, and if you want to read along uh, in English, you can find it on the Christchurch website, uh, christchurchliverpool.org slash transcript. I've just checked and it's there. Why don't I pray as we start. Heavenly Father, we're here because we love you. We're here because we're loved by you, and we want to uh, live in that and walk in that. So please give us receptive hearts um, to listen to your teaching. Uh, please guide us by your spirit and help us to, to want to apply it uh, and grow in our love and obedience to you as we study together. Amen. So when I was a kid, um, I was a member of something called the Tufty Club, and that got me curious. Does anyone else in this room, was anyone else here a member? Gaynor Evans, oh. One member of the Tufty Club, Pete Euston's. Um, how about this one then? Does anyone have absolutely no idea what the Tufty Club was? <laughs> yeah, I thought that might be more likely. I was going to put money on it being Anna McCracken in all honesty, but I'm pleased there's three of us at least. Um, the Tufty Club was a kind of stay and play group for preschoolers, um, but it had the unique selling point that it would also teach toddlers road safety. Um, And road safety was taught with the help of a cartoon squirrel called Tufty. He's on the screen behind me. So basically, a bunch of preschoolers would turn up each week and then, in in my experience, some well-meaning ladies um, would would teach them road safety armed with various squirrel-themed paraphernalia. I realise it sounds odd. It it was the 1980s in my case, so maybe that excuses it. But I really hope you understand the concept. It's really quite simple. Use a squirrel to bribe your children into learning road safety. And I can still, all these years later, remember one exercise that we did in Tufty Club. Uh, The well-meaning ladies who ran the club, they rolled out a huge mat on the church floor. The mat, it was designed to look like a zebra crossing. And then all of us children, we'd line up on one side of the map. And one by one, we would approach this road, and we would stop, we'd look, we'd listen, and then we'd walk to the other side. And if we could manage all of that, we'd get a reward, we would get a suite. One of my friends, James, though, he he didn't manage that. He wanted to get his suite quickly, so he ran across the road. And he missed out on his reward. He did not get his sweet. So why, you're probably wondering, why this insight into my quaint 1980s Middle Englander upbringing? Well, the reason is we see the same dynamic here in 2 John that I had to learn at Tufty Club. The dynamic is this. Walk. Don't run. You see, if you look through the book, in verse 4, John commends Christians who walk in the truth. In verse 6, he commands them to walk in obedience, that is, to walk in love. And in verse 9, he cautions us about Christians who have run ahead. But what then? What's the danger of running ahead? What do we have to lose by listening to those who have run ahead? Well, at Tufty Club, James lost his reward when he ran ahead. He did not get his sweet. But running on the road, wrong road could have been much more serious it could have cost him his life the stakes are even higher for those who run ahead in their faith just look with me at verses i think it was eight and nine watch out therefore that you do not lose what we have worked for but that you may be rewarded fully anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of christ does not have god whoever continues in this teaching has both the Father and the Son. The stakes are high because when we walk in truth, when we walk in love, we have a great reward. But this is threatened if we stop walking in truth and love. So John writes to warn Christians to, to watch out, lest they diminish that reward. And with this threat, there comes a relational tension then, doesn't there? How do we continue to walk in truth and yet love other Christians who aren't? How do we relate to them? And those are the sort of three themes we're going to try and draw out of this short passage this morning. Let's start with the first one. We have a great reward. Now, to be honest with you, the reward for crossing the road safely at Tufty Club, it was pretty lame. It was just a sweet. And when my friend James didn't get his he was sent back to the back of the queue and got to try again. In this letter, John has a much grander prize in mind. So he wants to warn the church, to write to the church. That's the chosen lady he addresses this book to, and I presume the sister who he signs off from at the end is another church. He wants the church and individual Christians, her children, to be rewarded fully. That, he says, is what he's been working for. That is his reason for writing. Now, to really understand what John's work is, what he's alluding to there, uh, and the reward he's talking about, it's helpful to look at one of his earlier books. In John's Gospel, in his account of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, he explains his work, his motive for writing. And he explains it with these words. Oops. These are written that you may believe. That Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name John's work is to convince people to believe in Jesus and to keep believing in him that was his reason for writing his gospel and it's his reason for writing this letter he wants God to use his words to persuade us that Jesus came from the Father lived on the earth loved his people enough to willingly die in their place he was crucified he died to take the punishment we deserve because we've rebelled against god and he rose again confirming that god was satisfied with his sacrifice and he ascended into heaven and will return to rule and judge that's the truth that john has works to proclaim it's the truth that he calls christians and churches to continue walking in And walking in this truth, it means orientating our lives around it. It means imitating Jesus' love for us in our relationships with one another. It means walking in obedience to Jesus' teaching. It means walking in love. And when we do that, we have great blessings. We have a great reward. We have life, eternal life, John says in his Gospel. And last week, Tim really helpfully unpacked some of the other blessings we have when we walk in truth and love when he talked us through the first half of this letter. We have grace. We have God's undeserved favour towards us. We have mercy. We're spared judgement we deserve for dethroning God in our lives. We have peace, rest from a tireless search for meaning or a futile attempt to justify ourselves. And we have joy. Joy in all these blessings that God's given us. Joy in our fellowship with each other. And yet, even those, they're just scratching the surface of the reward that John really has in mind here. Of the prize that he's been working for. You see, we're not just given a pardon for sins, a get out of jail free and a ticket into eternal life. No, the reward we have when we walk in truth and when we walk in love is much deeper and richer and more personal than that more than any religious buzzword or, or doctrine, good as they are, could describe. Look at verse 9 again, and the very end of it. Whoever continues in the teaching, that's the teaching of Christ, whoever continues in the preaching has both the Father and the Son. Our reward is God himself. We have the Father and the Son. Now, I realise when we first read it, that seems an odd turn of phrase, doesn't it? To talk about possessing God. But just think for a minute, how how do we talk about, in that sort of way, in other settings in life? I have a wife. I have two sons and a daughter. I have parents. I have friends. I have you, my church family. To say I have people doesn't infer that I own them. But it describes how I relate to them. And how my identity is tied up in them and, and with them. If you continue in this teaching, if you walk in truth and love, you have both the Father and the Son. Just pause for a minute and dwell on that. Let it sink in. Your identity is intricately connected to, it's defined by the Father's eternal relationship with the Son. You're welcomed into this perfect, loving, self-giving fellowship. Through the Son, you have access to the Father, as we sung this morning, the very throne room of God, not on a sort of technical clause, but with the welcome of a beloved Son yourself. God is for you. He loves you. He wants to pour out these blessings, grace, mercy, peace, joy onto you. He wants to know you and to be known by you, for you to be his and him to be yours for all eternity. You have a great reward in Christ. You have God Himself. So continue in this teaching. Rejoice in it, delight in it, enjoy your fellowship with the Father and the Son. Walk in truth and love. That's the reward John has in mind and wants to remind us of. And it should cause joy to well up within us, as it seems to in Him. But John also writes this, this letter with, with a warning. He writes to warn us that others will try to undermine this great reward, to devalue it or diminish it. So he warns us to be on our guard, to watch out, because there is a real threat out there. Look again at verses 8 and 9. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Any one who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God whoever continues in this teaching, has both the Father and the Son. It's a sobering warning, isn't it? The idea that all John's been working for, this wonderful fellowship, could could be lost, or that our reward could be diminished. And there's a stark contrast there between those who continue in Christ's teaching, who walk in truth and love, and have both the Father and the Son. It's a stark contrast between them and those who fall out of step, who quicken the pace and run ahead of the truth and do not have God. The danger for those who run ahead here is not like Tufty Club when they don't get a treat. The danger is that they don't have God. Now, I realise, and it looks from your faces like the prospect of that may sound terrifying. Um, how can I know that I'm not going to lose step or run ahead and, and, and lose my reward? Well, let me just quickly give you four reassurances from this letter so you don't despair. Firstly, John wrote this letter as a warning to the church. He wants us to watch out so it doesn't happen to us. And his advice for avoiding this fate is really simple. Walk in truth. Walk in love. Secondly, in verse 2, John gives a reassurance. That our commitment to the truth, it doesn't just lie in our hands, in our decision-making. It's it's much more secure than that. uh, And it's guaranteed. So he says, if we know the truth, if we walk in it, then in verse 2, it lives with us and will be with us forever. That's reassuring. Thirdly, do you notice in verse 8 that John's concern is that we are rewarded fully? Why include the word fully Unless he's suggesting that it's a a diminished reward rather than a destroyed reward that he's writing to to warn genuine Christians about. And finally, and this is the point we're going to sort of labour on for a little bit longer because it's the main thrust of his message. When John talks about people running ahead and not having God, he's actually talking about a very specific group of people. And we know that because he's actually described them in verse 7. Just glance back to verse 7. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge that jesus christ as coming in the flesh have gone into the world any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist here john's describing people that are so out of step with the truth that they deny the incarnation they deny that jesus is the christ the eternal son of god who came in the flesh as a man to die for us in our place to save us from our rebellion against God and restore us to fellowship with him. As Josh taught the children this morning, if Jesus isn't the Christ then we have no saving grace. We have not received mercy, we are still guilty before God and face his wrath. If Jesus didn't come in the flesh then we have no peace but still live in a constant fear of God's judgement and a restless attempt to justify ourselves. If Jesus didn't come in the flesh, then we have no fellowship with God. We still face his judgment. Do you see how denying that Jesus is the Christ and that he came in the flesh diminishes our reward? So keep step with the truth. But then who are these people that we're to watch out for? These antichrists, strong word, isn't it, as John calls them? Well, he described them in a little bit more detail. In his first letter that we looked at uh, about a year ago, just under a year ago, he said this. Dear children, this is the last hour. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. but you have an anointing from the Holy One. All of you know the truth. I do not write these because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It's whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. These Christ-deniers, these antichrists, they come with the appearance of his followers, of Christians. But they do not have God. They claim to come with the authority of the church, but they were never really a part of it. They don't walk in truth. They peddle deceit. A few years ago, I heard an interview with um, with John Humphreys, who was then the presenter of the Today programme on Radio 4. Now, I... I realise that I'm showing my age when my illustrations are Tufty Club and the Today programme. I'm quite happy with that. Um, For those of you who don't know, the Today programme is Radio 4's um, morning breakfast kind of news show. And every day, it has a sort of three-minute religious section that's called Thought for the Day. Um, And it's usually, but not exclusively, it's usually Christian or vaguely Christian. And it's presented by some sort of church leader or theological academic Asked his thoughts, on thought for the day, Humphreys replied, deeply, deeply boring, often. Sometimes not. Sometimes it's good and the guy or woman is delivering an interesting thought in a provocative way. Usually not. He then went on. When you're presenting, how many times do you have to say to yourself, we've got to cut a really fascinating programme short. Because we're now going to hear someone tell us that Jesus was really nice and the world would be a better place if we all, well, you know. Now, here's a word of caution from me about where 2 John's taking us. We're, we're heading into some challenging, quite possibly uncomfortable or, or controversial applications about how we relate to other Christians. And I'm going to start the journey down that road now. We've looked at the good stuff, the reward, so bear with me on this. For the most part, I agree with John Humphreys on this one. I often hate thought for the day. It happens to be on my drive to work, so I catch it. I find myself mentally, and sometimes literally, yelling at the radio as the, the bishop of so-and-so or the rector of somewhere or other says exactly that sort of caricature that he's brought out there. Jesus was a nice guy, so let's all be nice to each other. My problem with it is that they have three minutes. Of uninterrupted airtime on national radio to talk about Jesus. And they reduce him and his teaching to a humanistic, moralistic nicism. Sometimes I don't even mention Jesus at all. I'm, I'm not undersympathetic, I understand why they do it. The, the gospel, it, it's offensive. Even the Bible acknowledges that. At the center of the truth that we walk in is the fact that we have sinned and are an offence to God, and that we're powerless to change that ourselves. That's why we desperately need Jesus Christ. But our culture, it values individualism and self-determinism above everything else. So it finds the truth that you're not good enough on your own and that you need a saviour, who then gets to define how you live. It finds that quite regressive. On top of that, the presenters of the Today programme, they're sort of renowned for being sharp-tongued interviewers who will try and trap people in their own words if they don't like what you're saying. So often, the Thought for the Day contributors, they diminish the disagreeable aspects of the Gospel to make it more palatable, more self-affirming. But seeking acceptance and relevance in a progressive culture, they progress their theology further and further from the gospel until it bears little resemblance to the truth. I'm not picking on thought for the day particularly. It's not just a radio, you see these, these dynamics. John warns us that there are many deceivers who've gone out into the world, so you all have encountered them. People who say they're Christians, but don't walk in the truth. Their words or their actions don't communicate the centrality of Jesus come in the flesh to their faith. You'd have been to their churches, or visiting friends and family. You may have listened to their podcasts, sermons that don't proclaim Jesus Christ come in the flesh to die in your place as the only way we can be reconciled to God. they rather present a moralistic, legalistic, try-hard-and-God-will-appreciate-your-effort sort of faith, an untruth. You probably have friends that hold this view, maybe people in your CU, perhaps chaplains in your hospital or university who, who reduce faith to a sort of sympathetic nod at any self-defined spirituality. People who say they're Christians but deny the centrality, the absolute necessity of Jesus Christ come in the flesh, are deceivers and antichrists. I told you we were getting onto uncomfortable and challenging territory, didn't I? It's uncomfortable because it feels judgmental, doesn't it? And it feels judgmental, it feels uncomfortable because there's there's a real relational tension there, isn't there? That we feel when we try and walk in truth and love. The tension is this, how do we relate to, how do we love other Christians if they are not walking in the truth themselves? I mean, we're on the same team, aren't we? I'm being unkind to them. Shouldn't we stand with them and get over our minor differences? John isn't so kind. So far as he's concerned, we're not on the same team. Yes, people may claim to come from within the church, they may claim to be Christians, but if they don't proclaim Jesus Christ come in the flesh as central to the gospel, then they do not have God. They're a deceiver. If they don't walk in the truth of the gospel, then they're an antichrist. I know it sounds harsh, I feel it saying it. It sounds judgmental to our ears, but that's why John writes to the church to warn us. To tell us to watch out. More than that, even because, more than that even, because they've lost step with the truth, he says, don't give them a platform. Sounds very contemporary, doesn't it? Just look at verses 10 and 11. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, that's the truth, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. In the first century, teachers would, would move from town to town and look for a place to say while they share their philosophy or gospel. And then they would speak in meeting places, churches, synagogues, public squares. It's what you see John, uh, Paul doing in the book of Acts. But John writes to this church To say, if these teachers have quickened the pace and are not walking in the truth then don't let them in, even if they claim to be Christian. To us this may sound a far cry from walking in love, but think about it, it really isn't, is it? I was trying to find a way to phrase this but I read a book on holiday by Marcus Honeysett. He recently wrote an excellent book um, talking about alerting churches, I guess, to the danger of abusive leaders and suggesting measures to safeguard against this and the damage it has done in some churches. I I guess much like John is doing here. And he put the concept much more eloquently than I could, so I'll read you his words. Christian and secular views about how to love people diverge. Where secular culture believes a person's ultimate good is found in individual freedom, expression and self-defined identity, Christians believe it is found in knowing, Loving and obeying Jesus. The respective views about what constitutes loving action towards them differ sharply, therefore, with Christians believing it consists of encouraging them towards Jesus. Refraining from correction when someone is acting in ways that damage their love and commitment to Him is a failure to love both them and the wider church. Do you see his point? How much more unloving would it be to support someone in their godless untruth to gloss over it for fear we might offend them rather than to challenge them on it and point them to jesus and that's what john invites us to do here this isn't a refusal to engage with them i mean john himself engages with them he wrote this letter and four other books in the bible to challenge their false teaching in the light of the truth that jesus is the christ who came in the flesh and is our only means of salvation yes engage with them challenge them but don't entertain their ideas don't endorse their teaching now we don't have many traveling preachers coming through liverpool nowadays seeking board and lodging from the church though it's not unheard of and john warns us that if their endorsement from another john warns us that their endorsement from another church or their claim of faith for themselves it's not sufficient to assure us that the gospel they preach is the truth So for us as a church family, for all of us together, it means that we need to wisely and prayerfully consider which other churches we will share a platform with. We need to consider what networks or partnerships or fellowships or mission agencies or traveling preachers that we're prepared to work with or partner with. And as individuals, I think we all need to consider whose teachings we entertain or we consume. The books, the blogs we read, the podcasts and sermons we listen to. Yeah, don't stop engaging with them, that's fine. But watch out when you do, and particularly when you pass them on to someone else. Because many deceivers and antichrists have gone into the world, and we are not to share in their wicked work. So let's get practical at the end. How are we to judge this? How can we tell whether we're reading or listening to the words of a believer who has both the Father and the Son, Or the words of a deceiver who does not. Well, I think John suggests four simple steps that we can take, because he wrote this letter not to make us paranoid, suspecting everyone of being an Antichrist, but to make us wise, watching, watching out for their deceit because they're everywhere. Four steps. Firstly, stop just blindly absorbing opinion as though it were truth, don't take people at face value entertaining or endorsing their teaching because they say they're a Christian without actually first really considering both their character and their message. Look at their character. Is their ministry characterized by humility and serving others? That, that was the context that Jesus first gave this command to love one another, the command that John's repeated in this letter. He, knowing that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God, he stooped the level of a servant and washed his followers grimy, filthy feet. And he told them to love one another in the same way. Are the people whose opinion you consume, are they walking in love? Or are they using other people to serve them? If they don't walk in love, don't entertain them. Thirdly, listen to their message. What are they teaching? Do they affirm that Jesus is the Christ who came in the flesh to die in our place? Is he central to their message and proclaimed as the only way we can be saved and reconciled to God? If not, don't entertain them, no matter what credentials or endorsements they bring with them. And as for you, watch your step and keep pace. Walk in truth and walk in love, because there you have a great reward. There you have both the Father and the Son. So do you see where we finished applying this passage? Stop. Look. Listen. Walk. That's how Tufty taught me road safety 40 years ago. That's how John's been teaching church safety for two millennia.